Let me pray and we're going to launch. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity I get to share the word. Um, We thank you that uh, even as we talk about Paul and his missionary journeys, we have teams that left today. Uh, We have mission teams that are out and we pray for them. Uh, We have other teams that are leaving later this month and next month. Um, You are a missional God and you have called us to be missional people. So help us to take your gospel uh, to people who desperately need it. Thank you for your son. Uh, Thank you for the cross and thank you for changing our lives, Lord. Push me aside and speak through me and help as we walk out of here to be changed people for you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I mentioned that before I forget that. You know that we have mission teams out, right? Do you have one of these? Yes? No? I've never seen this before in my life. Okay. We have, and I believe some teams left this morning. Okay? So we have teams out, and there are going to be more leaving uh, next month as well. Okay? So pick up one of those. Okay? Okay. So here we go. So last couple summers, we've been going through the book of Acts. All right? And if you've come here the last couple weeks, uh, Mark's been going through chapter 13. So in the book of Acts, just to kind of do a little review, um, in the book in chapter 7, this guy named Stephen basically does like an Old Testament survey. He walks the Jews through uh, the Old Testament. Paul does the same thing in chapter 13. What he does is he starts with this guy named Abraham. Have you heard of him? Okay. Yes. All right. So God chooses this guy named Abraham, and he says from Abraham comes Isaac and Jacob, and then by the time we get to uh, Exodus, there's a guy by the name of Moses. Have you heard of Moses? God uses Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Are you with me? And when he brings them out of Egypt, he redeems them, and he puts them at the crossroads of the world, okay? And he says, you're going to be my kingdom of priests. You're going to be my light to the nations. Now, when we think of kingdom of priests, not, you know, we think of the collar and the you know, black robe stuff, but a, a priest was, was somebody that not only spoke for God, but they were God's physical presence on this earth. So when you looked at them, guess who you saw? You saw God. Are, are you with me? So that, that was Israel's, that was their focus, and that's what they were supposed to do. Now, when you read the rest of the Old Testament, did they ever live up to that totally? They didn't, did they? So Israel was supposed to focus, their focus, they were supposed to be God's presence in this broken world. And so they never lived up to that. So as we walk through the Old Testament, when we eventually get to this, these books called the Gospels, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, stepped out of heaven and took on flesh and walked this earth. And he offered the kingdom to Israel. And what did they say? No thanks. As a nation, they said no thanks. So then what he does is he takes these 12 disciples. He says, okay, guys, come here. These 12 disciples, and he trains them. And he says, no, I'm going to send you out into the world. But I'm not going to send you out alone. Because in the Gospel of John, in chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going to send you a helper, a comforter. Not only is he going to be with you, but he's going to be what? In you, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's going to come, and then you're going to go out into the world, and you're going to be my witness. Are you with me? That's where we're at in the book of Acts. So when we start in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is really a transitional book. What do I mean? Well, right here in the first chapter from Acts, and, and just so you know, uh, the Gospel of Luke, written by Luke, Acts was written by Luke. So when you look at them, really as, as a literary unit. So look at Acts as like Luke part two. So in the book of Acts, what we have is chapter one, Jesus goes from being on earth to ascending to heaven, okay? The book goes from the focus of being Israel to the focus now on this new entity that's going to be called the church. It goes from being a focus of Jewish to Gentile, from Jerusalem to eventually to Rome, from Peter at the beginning of the book to eventually to Paul. Does that make sense so far? So let me show you. Hello, chart. Okay, so here's the book of Acts. So the way it's laid out, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Okay, if you can't see it here, it's up on top, yeah. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, You will receive power from on high, and you're going to be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then what? The ends of the earth. Okay? So here's how the book, that, cha- that verse is really the outline for the book. So here we begin in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2 to 7. This is Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Okay? 2 to 7 takes place in Jerusalem. And then if you remember in chapter 7 and 8, there's a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Do you know that? What does he start doing to the church? He starts persecuting the church, doesn't he? And guess what they do? They scatter. So here we have the church scattered. And then when we get to Acts 13 to 28, this is where we have to the ends of the... There's where Paul begins these missionary journeys. Okay, and that's where Mark started a couple weeks ago. It's chapter 13. Okay, you still with me? You got it? You got the book? Okay, you can go teach it. Okay? No, it's fine. All right. So here's the question. I've always asked that, you know, and I hold this up. You know, what's the purpose? Why do we do these missionary journeys? Well, right in the Gospels, not only in Matthew but in Luke, Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go there for and make disciples. How many, how many nations? A couple, right? All, right? So remember, he takes these disciples and he says, you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's still going on, isn't it? So as God commissioned them, see, we continue that baton to pass on. So as they were given that mission to go out and extend God's grace to the world, guess what we have? We still do that, don't we? We're, we're God's missionaries. So when we look at Paul, and I know Mark has this really, really neat map that he uses on his shirt. That's really nice. And I told him, I said, you know what, I'm going to actually use a map. Isn't that, doesn't that just sound like a novel idea? So you can actually, I don't feel like I'm drawing up like a football play or something. I always, you know. So, <clears throat> but just to be clear, uh, this is just Paul's first missionary journey. I don't know if that comes in clear up there. Uh, but obviously we know that Paul uh, ends up taking three, sometimes we call it four missionary journeys if you include Rome. But just so you kind of get an idea, uh, this starts in chapter 13. This is where Mark was. So, so Paul leaves Antioch, comes to Salamis, Paphos, Perga. And last week, Mark talked about he was at Antioch. And this is where he, chapter 13 ends. He gets kicked out of Antioch. So today, he's going to be in Iconium, and then he goes to Lystra, and the next week he's going to be in Derby. Okay? Now, this is just the first. This isn't all four. Are you, are you with me? Does it make sense? Just the first. And, and so what I was saying is that when you take all of Paul's journeys... Um, and look at the miles that Paul logged. Um, some people estimate it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 15,000 miles, all of his journeys over the next, like, 20 years. So, and to kind of put that in comparison, roughly about 9,000 miles were land walking, okay? If you were to walk out of the church and, and walk to New York City, that's about 1,100, 1,200 miles. So, there and back, do that four times. Now, of course, he didn't do that it, you know, over consecutive days, but over four different journeys. And if Paul would have had a, you know, if he'd had a Fitbit, yeah, a Fitbit back then, um, that's roughly about nine miles a day for a thousand days straight. It's about 19,000, maybe 20,000 steps a day. Now, granted, we're in Florida and it's flat, but a lot of where he, the terrain was not flat. So you got to think about it. That's, that's miles. Didn't that t- I mean, the guy was in great shape. And just how, I mean, look at what lengths he went to take the message, the gospel. Do you know what, you know what I'm saying? I mean, think about that over the course of his life. So, so that's where we're at, okay? So just to give you an idea, so from Iconium to Lister, that's about 20 miles. And that's kind of where we're going to be today, all right? And then to Derby. And then when Paul comes back, he just backtracks, okay? And you can see, like, on the map, 
This is modern-day Jerusalem. So this is Israel, Syria. This is modern-day Turkey. Greece is over here, and then Italy, if you kept moving this way. So does that make sense? Everybody with me? Major in geography? Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. Chapter 14. Here's where we're at today. So it says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both the Jews and the Greeks believed. So a number of people were coming to faith in Christ. But what's interesting is that, if you remember, uh, Paul is Jewish. Okay? Surprise. So Paul, when he would go into these towns, he would always go into the Jewish synagogue first, and here's why. Paul being a Jew, and then going into these Jewish synagogues, there was a foundation. Are you with me? They understood the Old Testament. So what Paul was doing is he would go in there, and he would um, have these debates and talks based on the Old Testament because they're Jewish. So they would understand. If Paul started talking about Abraham, guess what they would do? I know who Abraham is. When he started talking about Moses, what would they do? Understand what you're talking about. That's different when you get into Gentile land. Because when Gentiles, just like for me, if you would have started talking about the different people in the Bible, uh, back when I was in college, before I was a Christian, what do you think my response would be? What? Who, who, I'm sorry, who'd you talk? What? I have no idea who that is. So are you with me? So there's going to be some differences in how Paul addresses Jews and Gentiles. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and, that's great, poisoned their minds. Isn't that great? Poisoned their minds against the brothers. Here's what's interesting. Let's go back a few chapters. Who was Paul previously? Saul of what? And what was he doing? Persecuting the church and not only persecuting, but what? Killing Christians, right? And Paul, he hangs his resume. When you go to Philippians chapter 3, he posts his resume. In his resume, he says that if anybody, he goes, I was, I was a Jew's Jew, meaning I was born the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. He says, as far as keeping the law, I'm blameless. He goes, anybody that has more zeal, show me. Because as a Pharisee, it, it would be like if you walk into an establishment today and you see like employee of the month or manager of the month. Paul would have been Pharisee of the month if you were in the Sanhedrin. I mean, he's knocking it out of the park. Every month, his picture's up there. He's like, man, this guy's he's great. So he understands that as a Jew, he knows where he's coming from. And here's the thing. Last week, when you look in chapter 13, Mark shared this. See, here's, here's what Paul is going to argue. He's going to say, listen, guys, in chapter 13, verse, verse 47, listen to this. For thus the Lord has commanded us, and he's talking to Israel, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. So remember, and and again, Stephen did this in Acts chapter 7, and Paul did in 13. He says, Israel, you were supposed to be God's presence on on this earth. Who was the one that was supposed to be bringing grace to the Gentiles? The Jews. Are you with me? And here's what Paul's going to argue all the way through the book of Acts to the Jews. He's going to say, listen, if you're a good Jew, then you become a Christian. But yet here you've got the Jews that are combating Paul when they were the ones that should have been taken the grace to the Gentiles. Are, are you still with me? Okay. Keep going. Keep moving. So they remained for a long time. Luke doesn't tell us how long, but a long time. Speaking what? Boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Okay, now I want you to just stop for a second. It says, bore witness to the word of whose grace? Paul's grace? It's not Paul's story, is it? Now, Paul does share his story. We do share our story, Right? But this is very important. Watch this. To the word of his grace. This is God's grace, isn't it? Whose story is it? It's his story, isn't it? Let me just read something. This is, Paul addresses in his book to the Galatians. I want you to hear this. Paul says this. 
chapter 1. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's the point. Paul is saying, I didn't, this isn't my gospel. And boy, if somebody could tell about the grace of God, is it Paul? Isn't it Paul? And so what he's saying is, he says, don't ever lose track. And this is the thing. Whether if it's this church or if you're a part of another church, if you abandon the gospel, run. Because it's not our gospel. And what Paul was sharing was that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose on the third day. And you put your faith in him, is eternal life. I mean, that, that's the gospel. That's the good news. Are you? Yes? Yes. And that's what he's sharing. And see, here's the thing. This is the temptation. Whether if it's me, whether it's Mark, Tom, whoever, it's all important about the message and not the messenger. Do you know that? It's all important. And who gets all the glory? Us? No. God does, doesn't he? So don't forget that. And this is what Paul, we're going to see this later on in chapter 14. Granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. It says, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. You know, it's been said that any time Paul went into a city, usually one of two things happened, sometimes both. It was either a riot or a revival because he brought God's message to that city. Verse 5, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them, and look at this last part, what were they going to do? Okay, and I know in the past people say this looks like a potato or bread or something, but it's a stone. You see that? Okay, what did the Jews, how would they kill people? Do you see that? They would stone them, wouldn't they? Okay, now let's, we read this, but let's, let's go to the human side of it. Have you ever been on a mission trip and it didn't go the way you thought? And they tell you when you go on a mission trip to be what? Be flexible because you're going into a different country, right? They don't do things like we do. Is that right? Anybody been on a mission trip? Yes? Just go, Absolutely. Well, let me tell you something. Um, most people, if they're knocking at your door, saying, hey, could you come out here? We want to we stone you to death. You're, you're probably looking for the first plane out of there, aren't you? Right? Wouldn't you? And so, you know, my wife and I, we were talking about this, you know, in our, in our, missionary, in our missions trips, you know, probably the closest thing we had to saying, you know, I don't know if we're going to make it out of here. You know, 11 years ago, when we were adopting our son from Russia, um, our first trip over, we had, we had really never been out of the country. We'd been to Canada, but I mean, you know, really. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, so we fly, you know, so we fly to GFK and we take this, you know, 10 hour nonstop flight, which is great in those economy seats because, I mean, you just get so well rested. Um, and so, uh, and we had learned a little bit of Russian, you know, you know, learn how to say no, you know, yet and, and yes, da, and, you know, thank you. And, and so, you know, I was pressing my wife. I said, well, you know, I picked up a couple more. She said, well, you know, did you learn any Russian? I said, yeah, you know, I learned, I learned a phrase. I said, Anishpion. And she's like, well, what does that mean? I said, well, my wife's a spy. <laughs> so, she, yeah, she didn't laugh. But um, I said, you know, if we, get in a, if we get in a bind, I'll just, you know, Anishpion and point at you and I'll, you know, get out of there. So um, now, yeah, we're laughing now. But uh, so other countries don't do it like we do, okay? So we get off the plane and, you know, you go through customs immigration. They, they open your bag right there, like dirty underwear and all. Okay, it doesn't, yeah, they don't care. And so the problem was is we had the same bag, all right? Well, and somehow I got her bag and she got my bag. Now, I don't ever check, okay, do you check what your spouse packs? I don't check what my, I mean, I'm not like, hey, what are you packing? Um, but what happened was because we were going to the orphanage, she had bought this, this Swarovski, this crystal. 
Have you ever heard of Swirl? I mean, I never shop for Christmas. So, um, but she had bought these gifts for the orphanage because you basically have to bribe the orphanage workers. You bribe them, okay? So she gets my bag. Of course, there's, there's nothing shaving. I mean, she goes right through. I've got her bag. They open it up, and there's like these, these four. All I could describe it is they're crystal, but they look like the, the ninja stars, you know, like a, like, a, like a ninja thing. You throw, you know, and I'm looking at it. So they open the bag, and as soon as they open it, I got her bag. And I'm like, and she's already through the line, okay? Soldier, full uniform, gun. He comes over. Starts talking. Calls one of his buddies over. Two soldiers, two guns, looking at, I mean, it looks like a weapon, you know? So they start talking. They look at me. They're talking. Third guy calls over. I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, I am so dropping the anaspion. I'm pointing. If they, if the handcuffs come out, I'm pointing to you. So she's just like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what? And so they're looking. And after a couple minutes of talking, they're like, how much? And I'm thinking, am I, am I selling the crystal now? I mean, am I? Because they're like, how much? I had no clue. So I'm like, I don't know, 50 bucks. Is it, you know, 50 bucks? And they're like, it's very nice. We like it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So they eventually let me through, and we get out. And I'm like, what? Really? You could have told me I had, like, ninja stars. And, I mean, they're thinking, here's this American coming through, and I'm going to, you know, got these weapons. So this is all within, like, a half an hour that we've landed, okay? Then we got this guy holding, you know, it's hadn't even spelled our name right. We get into this short little van. He speaks, like, broken Russian English, and he's got, like, NSYNC Backstreet Boys or something on. And I'm like... And he goes, is Justin Timberlake you like? I go, no, I don't. No, I, I don't really. He's pop star. You like? I'm like, no. So we get out of the airport, and this guy's driving like he's trying to qualify for NASCAR. And I'm like, we're sitting there, and I'm like, are we, are we being chased? <laughs> well, so a van, this is all, yeah. So a van comes behind us, around us, and like cuts us off. And we both pull over to the side outside of the airport. And I'm like, oh, here we go. So a guy gets out, comes, and gets in our car, and he goes, Papers. And I'm like, what? Now, I had forgotten that before we left, our adoption agency, they had sent us um, a FedEx package of uh, several other families, their dossier, their adoption paperwork, for us to take it because, surprise, in other countries, uh, things get taken. They don't actually end up where they're supposed to end up. So they get, I totally forgot. It was in my, in my bag. And so this guy's in our van now, and I'm like, we're, 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 like, we're getting kidnapped. I'm like, we're good. What, what's going on? And so finally, I figured it out. So we give them, you know, that package. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then, like, the next day, we go to the Kremlin. The same thing. I mean, we have a girl that's 18 or 19 taking us around. And she, her papers had expired. And the same thing. Soldier comes over. And, you know, he's like, you can either, you know, pay me, bribe me, or we can all go down to the police station. So, I mean, I was like, I'm dropping the anaspion again because I'm out of here. So, uh, but just to show you that in a mission trip, and, of course, we made it back. But, um, when you're doing these trips and when you're out, I mean, obviously, you know, here for Paul, he could have packed it up, but he didn't. What he did was he just kind of dusted off his sandals like Mark talked about last week, and he just moved on to the next city. And you look at that in verse 6. They learned of it, and they fled. He said, okay, well, we're going to go to the next city. They went to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country, and then look what they're doing. And there they continued to do what? They backed off their message. Paul backed off, Right? didn't, did he? He stopped because he was hurting people's feelings. He didn't. There they continued to preach the gospel. 
Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to make well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And this was a question I asked, you know, why the miracles? When you look back into the Gospels, um, Jesus did a lot of miracles, didn't he? And those miracles usually validated the words that he was saying to say, what I'm saying is true, but just to tell you that what I'm saying is true and that I am a son of God, get up and walk. And then in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John do the same miracle. So if, if you have your Bible, I'm going to read from this. This is Acts chapter 3. I want you to follow along. It says, uh, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, which is the hour of prayer, which would have been 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along whom they used to set down every day at the, temp- at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking them to receive, to receive the alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon them and said, Look at us. He began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. Immediately, his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. He entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. So that's Acts chapter 3. That's, that's Peter and John. And so Paul and Barnabas are going to repeat basically that same miracle. And why you do that is you have these miracles to, to validate or authenticate that the message that Paul is saying is true. And so you see this, but then you see the response of these people because this is predominantly now where he's at, Gentile. Okay, and so here's the response from the Gentiles. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Laconia, the what? Little g. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Okay. Barnabas they called what? Zeus. And Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. It's like Clash of the Titans or something, right? Liam Neeson come down. So what's the backstory with this? Why would they say that? Well, there was a Roman poet, okay? who wrote a lot of mythology, a lot of Greek and Roman mythology. And the story goes that several years ago, in actually this area, uh, in the Laconia area, is that Zeus and Hermes took on the form of mortals and came down on this earth and were walking door-to-door in this region looking for a little bit of lodging, okay? And supposedly they knocked on like a thousand doors or something that night. I don't know how you do that. Um, But anyways, they couldn't find anybody to let them in until they finally came to a cottage of an elderly couple, And that elderly couple let him in. And then, surprise, we're gods. So Zeus and Hermes turned their little cottage into this temple. Okay, this temple with a golden roof, big marble columns. Um, And then they wiped out the other thousand homes, which is a good bedtime story, right? You can go to bed with that. So so this is the backstory. So that's the story. So these people know this legend. Okay, they know this mythology. So here's the response is that they don't want to miss them again. Are are you with me? They don't want to miss... Oh, if the gods have come down, because what did Paul and Barnabas just do? They just healed a man, right? Right? He just got healed. So the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and they wanted to offer sacrifice for the crowd. You see what's going on? They're wanting to offer sacrifice to who? Paul and Barnabas. Okay? Look at the response. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in it. Okay. So here's what Paul's doing. You know, it's, it's, this is a temptation for anybody that comes up here. Who deserves the glory? Paul? God. And so when they try to give glory to Paul or Barnabas, what do they do? This is that Jewish symbol of, of agony and of blasphemy that they would rip the robes. And it says, men, why are you doing these things? We're also what? We're just men of like nature with you, and we bring you what? What are they bringing them? The good news. Here it is again. And that good news that this God that you serve, it's an idol, it's mythology, but let me tell you about the God who not only is the God of the living, but what does he do? Made the heaven and the earth. Okay, see what he's doing? They're not Jewish, so what's he going back to? He's like, this God, let me tell you about the one who made the heavens and the earth, and not only that, but he's the one that brings the rains. He's the one that makes the sun come out, the moon, feeds you. Let me tell you about him. That's that good news. Verse 16. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. And then here we get to God's common grace. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So there's that God. There's just his grace to these people. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices. So Paul and Barnabas just said, okay, we're just mere men. You don't offer sacrifices. And then what are they wanting to do? Offer sacrifice. Okay. And then you're going to see it next week, but the following verse, they're going to take Paul out, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to hit him with stones until he's supposedly dead. And then he's going to get up, dust himself off, dust off the blood, and head to Derby. I mean, and here's, and here's the question, you know, and this is not just for Paul, but, um, and I ask this, you know, what, what difference can one person make? Can one person make a difference? You know, I don't know if, um, it, yeah, the answer is yes. Yeah. I've always got a book or two that I'm, that I'm reading or I have going. And <clears throat> this one that I just finished reading about a month ago uh, is about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I don't know if you've ever, have you ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you are shaking your head no. Um, <clears throat> this book was written by Eric Metaxas. It's, it's kind of a whopper. It's about 550 pages. And um, I am one of those people that, uh, with my friends and family, I read a book and it tears me up and, I want to pass it around. <laughs> All right, do you have a friend like that? You're like, here, you need to read this. Is it going to make me feel bad? Oh, yes, you need to read it. I don't want it. Yes, you do. You need to read it. So, um, Dietrich was born in 1906, born in Germany, and was a young man when a guy by the name of Adolf Hitler came to power. Have you ever heard of him? Oh, yeah. So, Dietrich, um, and there's a lot of similarities between Paul and Dietrich, a lot um, these guys, you know, Paul, Paul was a Jew whose title became the apostle to the Gentiles. Dietrich was a Gentile who did a lot of ministering and saved a lot of Jews. Um, they were both really, really intelligent. Paul was very smart. Dietrich, I believe, got his first PhD at about 21. <clears throat> it's not bad, right? Yeah. It's not bad. Um, they were both single. They both spent a lot of time in prison, but I tell you what, both of these guys were totally committed to God's mission in that they were bold, they were fierce, they were relentless, and I tell you what, they were pretty darn stubborn. But the thing that's amazing when you read a story like Dietrich is that he had so many opportunities as he ministered. He became a huge thorn in the flesh of the Third Reich to the point where they, they were chasing him because they wanted to kill him. And a part of the, his story is he actually, they smuggle him out of Germany, and he goes back to America. And so he would have been safe. But instead of staying in America, 
um, he went back to Germany. He said, yeah, I'm going to go back. And when he did, people were like, you basically signed your death. He's like, I know. He goes, but it's worth fighting for. And at the age of 39, Dietrich lost his life. And this is just a great, great example. You know, and when you, <clears throat> and when you see guys like that with Paul and Dietrich, you know, here's the, here's the challenge for the church. This is something, you know, my heart. You know, one of three things happens. You know, we're talking about God being a missional God and that we should be missional people. One of three things typically happens is, one, we, we tend to isolate ourselves in the community of faith. What do I mean? Well, we come in here on a Sunday, and, and we have this holy huddle, but that huddle never breaks. Okay, and this is comfortable, isn't it? This is safe, right? Isn't this safe? I mean, isn't it safer to kind of retreat back and just kind of yell at the lost in the distance? That's safer, isn't it? See, that's, that's the first temptation. Second temptation is to assimilate. That means that we look so much like the world, which I'm so glad we don't do that anymore, um, is to look so much like the world that we kind of lose our salt, that salty lantern, salt and light. And Jesus got accused of this a lot, didn't he? During his ministry, did Jesus hang out with sinners? Did he? Did he? Yes, didn't he? Look at Luke 15. Most of us know that, that parable of the prodigal, don't we? How does that start out, though, in 15? It says that the tax, tax collectors and the sinners were doing what? They were coming to Jesus. And the scribes and Pharisees, what were they doing? Yay, I'm glad he's meeting. No. They were like this. I can't believe this guy's meeting with them. And he's even eating with them. And so Jesus hung out with sinners, but yet he didn't partake in the sin they were responsible for, did he? He didn't, did he? Remember, remember the woman caught in adultery? John chapter 8? What did he tell her? <clears throat> Women, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. He goes, but go and do what? Sin no more. So Jesus hung out with the sinners, didn't he? So here's the third thing. We can either isolate ourselves or we can assimilate. But here's the third. Biblical characters like Paul and people like Dietrich, you know what they did? They engaged. They engaged the culture. Because let me ask you, you're here. How did you get here? Not you drove here. But I'm saying, how are you here? Somebody at some point in your life, family member, coworker, neighbor, somebody... They either invited you to church, to a Bible study, to a revival, something, and you heard the gospel, didn't you? Right? Yes? Somebody, I think if we would take a, every single one of us are here and we're Christians because of somebody else. And see, that's how God works, isn't it? See, God wants to reach people through people. Does that make sense? God wants to reach people through, you, through other people. See, God has called us to be his presence in a broken world. Do you think it's broken? ha, <laughs> he's called us to be his presence in a broken world. And see, you know why? It's because as we're living this godly lifestyle, as you're you're holy and set apart, and you're out amongst people who are ungodly and unholy, they get to see what does it look like for God to be in charge. That's why I'm here. See, I had two guys when I was in college, two guys on my team who I thought were weird. Remember when we had the weirdo, the tags? You know, you're a weirdo. Now, I don't mean weird like weird, just <clears throat> it was very odd for me that being in sports, you know, these guys didn't cuss. Why don't you guys cuss? What's wrong with you? Yeah. <sighs> Silly. <clears throat> and the way that they treated themselves. And so, so they were living out this Christian faith. No, I didn't know what it was, but I knew that it was something that I wanted. Because as I watched them live their lives, and they eventually invited me to a Bible study, and then over a couple months, it was a youth pastor who led me to Christ. But isn't that, isn't that how it works? is that God wants to reach this world through, uh, through us. So can he make a difference? 
he can make a difference, doesn't he? And see, that's where, and that's the challenge for us. And see, I have, um, as we look at guys like Paul and Dietrich, one of the things when you read this, God had incredible, I mean, the spiritual disciplines, you're not surprised when you read it. The, the amount of time that he spent uh, immersed in Scripture and in prayer. And see, when you do that, when Paul, guys like Paul and Dietrich, when you spend that much time immersed in Scripture, you want to live a godly life. You want to be part of the mission. You want to engage. Does that make sense? Don't you? I mean, you want to when you're that immersed. And see, that's what God's calling for us. See, God's what he wants. And see, here's the thing. This is what I'll end with. You know, it's not so much that I, I come up here and I say, boy, wouldn't it be nice? This is what you should do. You know, this is what I want for my life. Not that somebody's going to write, you know, a 550-page autobiography on me. But when Mark comes up here and talks about surrendering, when we talk about giving, you know, all in, this is what we're talking about, being a part of the ministry, being a part of God's missional movement. And so I have people over the years, here's the thing. They say, well, you know what? I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. Well, guess what? We have this thing called life groups. Have you heard of them? Yes? No, you never heard of them. I have like a gazillion of them here, don't we? We have a lot of life groups. When people say, well, you know what? I really don't know how to pray. Well, guess what? We have classes that teach you how to pray. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? And that's going to fit right in with what, what Carmelita and Scott are going to come up here and talk about is that our, our ladies' ministry and our men's ministry. If you want to get plugged in and you want to grow in your faith, get plugged in. But here's the thing. I'll go back to that. Every single person, God wants to use us. Do you know that? Do you believe it? That's why I'm here. I'm, I'm so thankful that those guys lived out their faith in front of me because I'd rather be here than the alternative. Aren't you? And let me tell you something. If we consistently and compassionately share the gospel with the lost and offer grace to the guilt-ridden and ashamed, we'll never be at a loss for people who long to be free, will we? This stage will continually be filled with those roses. And that's, what I, that's my prayer for Bay Life. That's the prayer for us, is that we are those people that engage culture and that we don't stay back. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunities that you do give us. And, you know, it's a tough message. Uh, it is much safer for us just to retreat to a mountain and just kind of hole up. Uh, but that is not what you've called us to do. You sent your son, the ultimate missionary, and you sent him to the cross where he was shamed. And he took our sins upon himself so that we could be free, so that we could be forgiven, and so that we could be those change agents that you have called us to be. And I just hope everyone understands that, um, yes, one person can make a difference and that you want to use every single one of us, every single one of us. And I just pray that we would surrender to you because as the apostles said here at the end of 13, that they were filled with joy. That's where the joy is, is living for you. Help us to live for you. We love you and we thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. And we pray for all of our mission teams out there sharing the gospel. Help us to do the same. We love you and we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.